Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips Herb, Tax Girl. I'm a tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers and tax practitioners like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. We all think we understand sin taxes, right? Sin taxes are typically excise taxes that target behaviors that we want to discourage. So think taxes on booze, cigarettes, and sugar, for example. Thomas Schofie is an assistant professor in the Lally School of Management at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. He recently conducted a study on sin taxes with some surprising results. So we have him on the show today to talk about that research and what it might mean for other kinds of taxes. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Hi, it's great to be here. So tell us a little bit about the study, because it's really fascinating. And I will admit that when I read it, because there is a related paper, when I read it, I actually had to read it the beginning twice, because it's a really interesting take, right? It's not your normal, did uh, you know? Did the price of sugary sodas make people drink more or less? Like That's what we're used to. This was a little bit of a different twist. So tell us about the study and why you found it interesting. Sure. So this study is joint work with uh, two professors at Arizona State University, Roger White and David Kensington, as well as a professor at North Carolina State University, Jared Smith. And so one of the things we use, and my colleague Roger White is an incredible expert using this data, is we look at New York City taxi cab drivers as an empirical setting to test this idea about how changes in syntaxes influence behavior in interpersonal transactions outside of the actual syntax. So the idea is when these syntax happen, how do people behave in terms of the changes in their job, their likelihood to commit fraud or engage in bad behavior, antisocial behavior in commerce? So the cigarette tax, this taxi New York taxi cab environment is unique in that the taxi cab drivers have the ability to put on an out-of-town rate code, even when they're engaged just in taxi rides within Manhattan. If anyone has been to Manhattan, you know you, you can take the subway or you can take taxi rides. And right. in this, this COVID world, certainly more than ever, it's a lot better to take a taxi ride. But you think that you're paying the legitimate fare. You're actually sometimes paying more when these taxi drivers decide to put this rate code on unfairly. So we look at a lot of controls for taxi drivers just to address all these other alternative explanations. For example, looking at rides that are picked up near hotels to see if uh, the taxi drivers are more likely to cheat tourists because they don't know as much about how New York taxi cabs construct their fees. But then we create this before and after scenario. So during this period of the taxi cab drives, there is a big increase in cigarette taxes. And that is, is our setting, the drivers before and after the cigarette taxes. And the sin taxes have a lot of influences on people's behavior. I am kind of ashamed to admit, but uh, more than 10 years ago, I was a smoker. I've, I quit quite a while ago and was someone who was dealing with those cigarette tax increases. Someone who smoked for 40, 50 years, 
you didn't really have those large increases in taxes as we became aware of the physical damages of cigarette smoking. The government decided to be more proactive to claw back money from the tobacco companies to deal with public health issues. Mm -hmm. But the increase in taxes led to things like people quitting. It also led to people trying to get cigarettes from areas where there weren't taxes. So for example, the people were buying taxes from uh, cigarettes from Russia that had no taxes at all. They were being flown into LaGuardia Airport uh, so they could avoid the, the extra three, four dollars per pack. And, and finally, that became so popular that the government shut that down. The, the you know, tax enforcement just seized those planes. So the reason why I'm saying that is because when you smoke and you smoke consistently, these dollar amounts add up. And okay. so how do you react to that? Do you say, well, okay, I feel better about this. I'm, I know I'm doing something bad, but I'm helping people who may have problems with this. I'm being a good member of society. Maybe my behavior will change for the good, but also maybe my behavior will change for the bad. Maybe I think this is unfair. Why do I have to pay an extra dollar fifty for a pack of cigarettes because the government decided to put this tax in place? And so there's this idea of what's the end behavior to somebody else who doesn't have anything to do with that tax? A customer uh, would be a good example. Someone you're selling a, a home to, mm-hmm. anything. A, a economic transaction that we deal with in our field all the time. So this taxi cab setting allowed us to do that because we can look at the rate code fraud frequency, and we can also look at drivers who are ticketed for smoking. So we know that there is smoker over the course of the sample. And then when the tax increase happens, do we see an increase in fraud for the cigarette smokers versus the average cab driver who doesn't have that. And that's exactly what we see. We see that these cab drivers are defrauding customers more. And then you add those all up and it turns into millions and millions of dollars. And I find that fascinating because like, I find it fascinating that the premise is that if sin taxes are intended to punish or to limit a certain kind of behavior, that that sentiment gets transferred to another person. Like I don't think that we think about that and again, I've been writing about syntaxes for a bit, you know, on my own blog and at Forbes before moving over to Bloomberg. And I- I'm fascinated by this notion that, I mean, it makes sense. Like when I, again, when I read the paper, like it made sense to me, but I had never really thought about that before. So what kind of, what made you think about this? Because I, I haven't heard other people query those certain, those same kinds of what is the logical next step. I think we've always just looked at the the two options that you mentioned, that either you change your behavior or you find different ways to get products. And I will just say as an aside, I used to, so I, I told you before um, we started taping, I'm from North Carolina. My listeners know that when I was in college, I worked at a pharmacy and yes, pharmacies used to sell cigarettes quite a bit. And we would often have in the summer, a huge spike in cigarette sales. And it was because of all the folks coming down largely from New York and New Jersey. Cigarette Mm -hmm. taxes in North Carolina, you know, home of big tobacco, were super, super low, especially when I was in college working um, at the the pharmacy. And people would buy cartons of cigarettes to take with them. And it never dawned on me. I just thought they were cheaper, you know, when I was in college. It never really dawned on me what they were doing. So, So I that part I've always, like, since I've understood, you either smoke less or you find cheaper ways to get your cigarettes. But what made you think there might be this other option? Yeah, to your point, 
I used to live in North Carolina as well. And I'm completely aware about the cost of a pack of cigarettes, especially a number of years ago compared to New York City. My mom used to go to Pennsylvania to buy cigarettes. She'd get them $3 cheaper per pack. So it definitely changes the cigarette smokers' behavior and interstate commerce and riding the line between what is legal for personal consumption Mm -hmm. and what essentially becomes trafficking to (laughs) avoid taxes. So I don't know if people know the laws with the number of cartons they can bring back. But I have some very bright colleagues, my colleagues from Arizona State and NC State. So we talked about this idea together. But two of my colleagues are, I would say, hardcore libertarians. And they don't want to see any taxes whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I'm not on that scale. But I think this is really important because it hopefully can guide tax policy about sin taxes in the future. Because I think that governments can be myopic in terms of their decision-making with these these syntax proposals. They just think we need to raise money for whatever we intend to do, uh, social policy, public health. And so let's just put these things in place, right? Let's let's just give more casino licenses because we can put more taxes on them because it's a a bad behavior. But we'll use that money to do anti-gambling programs and we'll use that money for social improvements, et cetera. But they don't always do that. I mean, that's actually with cigarettes, actually something that has made news is that some of the money that was actually raised ostensibly for public health programs has actually been directed in some states to other places. So it's not always the result that even on the revenue side that you would anticipate, right? Oh, I agree. And then they might not spend the money in the ways that it was originally proposed. And then even if they do spend the money in the ways it was proposed, is it actually effective? Right. Are people who have serious gambling problems going to actually access these services when they don't necessarily think that it's a problem? Right. That's an issue that a lot of people have with syntaxes, with drug addiction. You just say, well, I don't have a problem. I'm, I'm functional. I can go forward with this. And you don't realize how it hurts other people in your life and then how it affects other people in society, which is our larger question. So mm-hmm. when they do these things, I, I think there needs to be a stu- more studies about the unintended consequences, those third-party effects that might have something really problematic. And this this idea of unfairness for how people feel uh, taxes treat them, and then how they, they turn that onto other people is, is the core idea that we were thinking about. And we just found a good setting with the increase in taxes and the ability to measure fraud, to measure cheating. Because it's difficult to find a good data in empirical environment to say, what is cheating? How, do, how can we clearly define it? Right. And I think this, this setting was really good because it's easy to understand. For other things that we, we are going to put in place in, in various states, I think it's, it's going to be more difficult. I, I think about casinos and syntaxes and how we've just had this explosion in casinos, explosion in sports betting. And it's just thought about being such a great tax revenue. And fine. Right. You're now betting legally on sports. You can bet on professional sports. You can bet on uh, college sports. There are potential negative consequences that are directly related. I personally think that more and more college betting is going to lead to point shaving scandals oh, sure. in mass, which is going to threaten the integrity of those games and could lead to major disruptions, declines in college sports that people value a lot. So 
I totally agree with you because you already see that outside of gambling and college sports when you have teams that will agree to play teams that they know they're going to lose to simply because that way they get more money for the programs. If you add in gambling, now it's easier, right? Like we've already know we're going to lose. So maybe we'll lose by a little more. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, to, to the extent that I'm glad you do, because I think a lot of people just don't care about that because the demand to have gambling in a legal platform is so high. Mm-hmm. It's just, I, what, what do I care if someone does that? That's just part of the, the system that I'm engaged in. But there have to be other consequences that in, influence individuals outside of that transaction between the casino and that, and that individual who's making the bet. If it's co- making the cost of gambling higher, and that creates more of a downward trend for people on their earnings that it causes them to take action that might be socially perceived in a bad way. So they'll engage in less ethical behavior at their job. We don't know that because it's difficult to measure across every person and how they they conduct their job, how they conduct transactions, because it's heterogeneous across all those people who are gambling. So we need kind of something simple that we can measure, which is why the taxi cab setting is important. But people who are making these policies, they're not talking about these things. Right. And that that's something that we want to get them talking about. I, I think that longer term, just with with the explosion of casinos that we've seen in not just central areas like Las Vegas and Atlantic City, in the past, casinos have been associated with, with very bad behavior, drug use, prostitution. And once you have casinos in a place where they become magnets for this type of behavior, because a lot of people who probably shouldn't be gambling are gambling and shouldn't be doing things, then you have people who are living in this area who might be exposed to higher levels of crime because the, the casino, uh, the, the syntaxes have, have kind of exacerbated this problem. And, I, and we haven't seen that yet, but we've seen that in the past. And that, I think, is, is something that's not considered. And I've always spoken about this with, with medical marijuana is what is the right amount to tax it? Everybody, I think every government agrees that this is driven you know, a lot by tax revenue as well as mm-hmm. public demand. Should we just tax it 100%? Should we tax it in a small way? And it's interesting that you bring up marijuana because a lot of the sin taxes are taxes that are on substances or behaviors that are now legal, which used to not be legal, right? So booze is a good example. You've already mentioned gambling, another good example, and marijuana. And so I think that, the again, kind of going back to what I think people talk about, People are, including legislatures, are legislators are talking about the fact that if if it was not legal, it would be this underground economy, and therefore we couldn't tax it at all, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the justification for putting a tax on it initially, or making it legal in a lot of cases. You know, if we legalize it, then we can tax it, right? So you legalize it, you tax it, and then we've decided that is not just on an income tax level, but we're going to do a sin tax on top an excise tax because we want to discourage the behavior now that we've made it legal. So <laughs> it is interesting that pattern, right? That 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 syntaxes tend to be associated, I believe, with, I mean, a few exceptions, sugar, you know, is one of them, but but that we are, we do tend to slap a syntax on something that at one time might have been illegal. And I do think that the justification for that is is the revenue. But I, I agree that I don't think that the discussions really go beyond that. 
No, I don't think they do. With marijuana, there's a couple things that I can I can think of that probably haven't been discussed. Uh, the interstate competition is, I think, something that's under-examined. It's legalized in one state, and then the neighboring state feels like they have to do it because all the people are going over to the other state to make the purchases. Mm-hmm. And so that tax losses revenue is is lost. And it then is it is it a situation where it's a race to the bottom where they start lowering tax syntaxes on marijuana until you know it's basically nothing. It's it's very similar to a global minimum corporation tax. Will we see something like that? I think also have heard stories about people who have bought marijuana on the black market previously and now because of the legalization in addition to the syntax can actually make legal marijuana more expensive than black market marijuana. Oh, I don't doubt that. Yeah, I don't doubt that because you again you see that with cigarettes. You'd see it with loose cigarettes versus buying it from the store. Sure. Right. So how does that actually affect the revenue that you can generate from the syntax if the black market is operating more efficiently or less expensively? I, I don't think that that's considered at all because as you said, the whole purpose is you have this this underground market that's not taxed, and then you try and tax it, and then you realize that you've taxed it into a much higher price level than the black market. So the black market might actually grow more than than the legitimate market that you're talking about, which I think is it's kind of funny to me. I, I want to laugh about how the policy's put in place, but like if you can get more uh, more more information, potentially data about how those black markets are functioning, then you can craft the, the syntax more effectively and just realize what well, we need a level that's that's going to draw as much of that sale volume from the black market into the the new legitimate market rather than make the black market stronger. And then right. there's consequences about how that legalization of one drug affects the black markets for all drugs because we know that there are, are relationships between drug use and with certain uh, drugs and, and other drugs. Mm-hmm. And and that's going to have economic effects for people who are probably not drug users at all. And these are complex questions. I, I'm not going to say that they're easy to answer. Right. Our setting just provides one glimpse into this. But just ignoring them is not the answer. And so our, our, our policymakers need to be held more accountable to at least think about these things, get the experts involved to say, all right, this may be bad, so maybe we have to think about tweaking how we implement these syntaxes in, in, in ways to, to get more desirable outcomes for the governments and for society. But how do you sell that message? Because this, I think, is the challenging part. It's really easy. I shouldn't say really easy. I'm making it and probably oversimplifying it. But it's fairly easy for governments to put together projections for revenue based on sales, right? We saw this recently in Philadelphia when we were doing a sugar tax. Like, how much of a sugar tax should we impose? What kinds of of uh, should it be soda? Should it be juice? Like, you know, there were all these, and there was data already available because you can look and you can see these are how many Coca Colas were sold in the city of Philadelphia. This is how much orange juice was sold in the city of Philadelphia. So it's fairly easy to make some calculations of you assume there will be a drop off at some point, you know, but for now, this is what our revenues are going to look like. The kind of studies that you're talking about, which are more sophisticated, the data may be available, it might not be. But it takes time, as you know. It takes, uh, you have to get the experts that you mentioned. You have to to put the years into it because it's not something you can just have a computer spit out and have a, a causal connection. 
So how do you, A, pitch that idea to a legislator that, you know, I think this needs to be considered a little more, not just heavily, but in a, in a bigger context? And B, how do you convince them to do the funding for that? Because again, this is not something that you can just spit out in a, in a computer. Like it's, it's an ask. And legis, I do think one of the reasons that syntaxes are popular to begin with is it's, it, it looks like easy money to a lot of government officials. So how do you get that message across? I think we need to think about this differently. I agree with you. It's a difficult problem to solve. But I'll, I'll just say that the soda sugar tax is really interesting. And a lot of these taxes are intended the same way because I think they're put in place to just make the bad behavior so expensive that people aren't going to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, we're going to change the behavior of people in Philadelphia by increasing the cost of soda so much that people will start using, they'll start drinking more water or they'll start drinking drinks that have less, less sugar and far lower health effects than sugar. And, mm-hmm. and, and sodas. But I think if you're going to get policymakers to look at this, they have to think about the effects across all of their constituents. So they have certain constituents that are saying, this is bad behavior. It's affecting our children's health. It's affecting everyone's health. Let's just make it so expensive that people won't do it. And I don't think that's worked in the past. Sure, cigarette smoking has declined, but the cigarette companies are always trying to find innovative ways to maintain their business. So cigarette smoking has transformed into vaping and sure. it's still happening. So it's naive to think that we're going to tax this thing into a point where it, no one's going to do it anymore because these sins are appealing, are addictive. People are going to do them anyway. Mm-hmm. So now let's look at the constituents as a whole. How are we using this money? That's something, yeah, you're right, that there are problems with because the governments are not always going to use this money effectively. To get data, it would be helpful to conduct surveys to people about how you think this would, would influence your, your job, how it would influence potentially things like crime, which I, I know there's a lot of uh, studies out in the economics literature that examine these things. I just think that trying at least to collect some data, trying at least to bring experts in who've examined these things is helpful. If there was a federal syntax proposal, I would assume that people would bring in economists or sociologists to examine these unintended effects. And I don't, I don't know what every unintended effect is going to be. I think it's not possible to know every single one. But if we can think about people's general sentiment, how do I feel about the government if, if I have a syntax that affects something I really like to do? How do I feel about people that don't do this? that they are not affected and they have the same amount of money to do something that's not sin-related, go on a vacation, buy a video game system. Who knows? Maybe we'll syntax that in one day, like they're <laughs> trying to do ban in China. Those are the kind of things. So I would say bring in experts and conduct surveys, which are easier to do than ever because of the internet. And just don't think about it just in terms of your constituents that hate these syntaxes and want things changed through, through excuse me, they don't hate these syntaxes, they hate these sins right. and want these syntaxes put on them. Think about the people who are actually influenced by the taxes, how they will they respond in a negative way because they feel like their behavior is being targeted unfairly. And then think about how they're actually going to, their behavior is going to change in the economic process and just 
the general how we treat each other type of process because that's the core idea of our paper. You you just you do something, you can't really control it. It's who you are, it's what you love. Someone makes that more expensive for a reason that has nothing to do with the cost of it, but only has to do with a politician and a certain group of constituents saying, Oh, this is bad, so you need to pay more for it. I think people are are gonna react to that. Okay. And our our paper says this is a potential way for them to react to it. They're going to take it out on other people in a way that is antisocial and potentially illegal. Well, and when you talk about people looking at those studies, which we know that, again, the tax authorities aren't necessarily doing right now, we're still seeing, as you referenced earlier, this um, clamor for more taxes. I do think it's probably going to exacerbate in a post-pandemic world because we have <laughs> we've written <laughs> quite a bit about the fact that especially local authorities, local tax authorities are not collecting revenues at the rates that they were before the pandemic. Outside of medical marijuana, do you see any particular industries that might be targets for additional SIN-type taxes? I mean, obviously, the, there's a lot to choose from, but I don't know if you've, if you've thought about any particular targets. I mean, I have thought about sex work, which is actually a big part of the economy right now if you think about things like OnlyFans, right. which if you remember, the CEO of OnlyFans uh, thought about getting rid of sex work on his platform and then realized and- it was 80% of his revenue <laughs> right. yes. and completely reversed on that. Yeah, social media had a field day with that, yes. Exactly. But if the government sees that and says, huh, this is unsavory behavior, and, and especially you might see this in certain states that have more conservative values, they want to tax this, it could change behavior. It, it could lead to people moving out of the states and conducting the business in, in other areas that are more tax-friendly to this. It could lead to a lot of things that I just don't even know what they are right now. But but that's that's a platform that I think will be targeted for syntaxes. I would not be surprised at all because I know a few years back in South Carolina, they tried to impose an additional tax on top of sales tax for porn that you would buy like over the counter, like uh, magazines and that kind of thing. So yeah, I think that's a really good call. I could see that happening. And some people are are talking about prostitution becoming legal. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is in places like Nevada. I I don't know if there've been any changes to how those are taxed in that state. That might be interesting to to look at to see if there are any effects on on household domestic violence mm-hmm. as people bring that back because they feel like they they I mean they, they cheat on their wives at one of these facilities they think it's it's unfair how much the government is taking out of it and they act negatively in their family or in their business I mean God forbid something like that happens but if it does we certainly want to know about it Sure. And and there have been politicians in, in liberal states in the U.S. who opposed legalizing sex work in general. And so I don't know how that's going to affect people. But before we have that legalization question, we need to examine those. And this, and this is a is something I've been saying over and over and over again. As we, we examine more of these sins and think about bringing them into the legitimate economy, I don't, I don't know what the consequences are going to be. Uh, and, and I want to ask these questions about some of these things. I don't know if there's any research looking at, at marijuana and taxes on that and, and the legitimate market, how that affects society. But I think that's, uh, that's an interesting area of research that uh, maybe 
my colleagues and I will will consider. I was going to say, maybe that will be your next paper. That would be terrific. <laughs> so um, I will be sure to, uh, to put the um, link to the paper in our show notes so that folks can easily find it. But if folks wanted to find you either on the web or on social media and you wanted to be found, where would you send them? It's pretty easy to find me because my last name is um, not common. Mm-hmm. So if you go to my website, shofi.com, S-H-O-H-F-I.com, and you just suit shofi.com slash syntaxes, that'll have a link to this paper at um, SSRN, which is one of the most well-known databases for, for papers in the social sciences. So mm-hmm. that's, that's really easy to find. And I encourage people to look at the research by my colleague, Roger White at Arizona State University, who's done other papers about uh, using this, this data environment and how, uh, how fraud can result from certain types of uh, laws, which you know, syntaxes are just a, a small subset of laws that we propose. Well, and I'm definitely going to check that out because I find this fascinating. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I think it was terrific. I think so too. I think it was a good discussion, Gilly, and I, I hope it turns out well. And I'm always embarrassed to listen to myself after I do one of one of these things, but I'm encouraged that uh, the, the conversation will be enjoyed by, by some people. Oh, I think people will love it. Thank you. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.